In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I have to say, a lot has transpired since I was standing here with you two weeks ago. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I flew to Africa and back. I went to Uganda because parishioners of ours, Sean and Diana Sebner, were married in Uganda, which is her native country. So I wanted to say a little bit about the Ugandan church, the Ugandan Orthodox Church. It's about 100 years old, and they have 100 parishes, 105 parishes in Uganda. And the church was started originally by Greek immigrants who had become expats in Uganda. And then uh, two uh, main figures in the Ugandan Orthodox Church, two native Ugandans, started looking into the history of the church and came to find orthodoxy and went to Greece and studied there, eventually became priest, a priest and a bishop. But I went there for a wedding, so I'll tell you about that. The wedding was a beautiful experience. In the church, it was filled with mostly people from Uganda, a small contingent of Sean's family coming from Ohio and other places in the States. And no one in the church was Orthodox except us up in the front. Everyone else was not Orthodox because both Sean and Diana had converted to the faith. So there are a lot of similarities between what we experience here, because many of you who are converts to the faith, if you have a sacrament, much of your family is not Orthodox. So it was actually an evangelistic opportunity there. And I served with Metropolitan Jonah of Uganda. By the way, I have to say, it was the first time that I actually danced for the dance of Isaiah. And everything, every movement in the Ugandan church and in their culture, it's a little bit of a dance, at least to our Western eyes. But what was so noticeable about the Ugandan people was this word that I've used many times, this Greek word, philoxenia. Their love towards strangers, toward the other. And it's more marked when they have so little. Here in America, we have so many things. It seems like it should be easy to offer philoxenia, to offer love and care towards the other, towards people who God places in front of us. And in Uganda, I definitely got that sense very strongly. The people there, with the little that they have, offer much. The Gospel today certainly talks about philoxenia. Our Lord comes in all of His glory and it says all the nations are assembled and I was thinking the Americans, the Ugandans, the Brazilians, the Indonesians, all nations before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And He comes before them with one criteria. That criteria, the criterion is love. Love towards the other. And love as action specifically. Now we can understand this gospel in a particular way that I think many of us do understand it. If you look at the icon, you can imagine it as this massive courtroom. Because it's judgment day. And who judges on judgment day except the judge? So it's a courtroom. And in that courtroom, we have the judge right at the center. And the judge is giving out punishment, or giving out leniency, giving out reward, as it may be. And this is an image that we may have in our heads. But if we look at the Gospel a little more closely, there are two points that I would like to bring out. 
we'll see that the picture is quite different from how we often associate it. The first is that if I have to ask the question, what does God want in this situation on Judgment Day? What does God want? God wants everyone to be saved. So right now we know we're not in a normal courtroom because the judge wants everyone to get out of jail free. That's who the judge is. If you're not sure of that, read with me. He says first to the sheep, Come, O blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then what does he say to the goats? Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. From the foundation of the world, God has created a kingdom in which he desires that every single human being is an inheritor. That's what he said. It's prepared from the beginning of the time for us. As for eternal torment, that wasn't prepared for us. That's not intended for us. So we might ask ourselves, well then, why, if he wants the goats to be saved and he's the judge, why are they not saved? Because of free will. Because we have freedom. You see, God truly, truly wants us to love him, not to be slaves to him. And to love, there has to be the freedom to walk away. And thus, with the fallen angels, they too had the freedom to walk away, and they did. And so now there is this place, if you will, this hell of eternal torment for those who just don't want God. Because God is not a tyrant. He will not force upon us something that we don't want. And so thus, Judgment Day becomes something very different. It becomes, we get what we want. That's what happens on Judgment Day. We get what we really want. The startling thing is to realize that what we want isn't always God. And we know this. We know this within our own lives. What we want isn't always God. And so there is a very real opportunity, if you will, chance of something that is horrendous. Because that's what we're pursuing when we're not pursuing God. And that's why the judgment day, we say, before the fearful judgment seat of Christ, we say this in the services. Because it's startling to realize, I actually have the choice there. I'm the one that has the choice. God is the one who simply says, this is what you wanted. This is what you wanted. You have it now. And we hope and pray that we are on the side of the sheep. But it is how we live in this life. As a side note, if God wants everyone to be saved, we should want that too. There should be no part in us that says, that person is not worthy of salvation. That person doesn't deserve to have it. Those people over there, they're all condemned. Forget about them. We pray for everyone because we desire salvation for everyone because that's how we are like God. If we're not like God, then we're saying if salvation is only for certain people. God desires salvation for everyone. 
The key is, what do we want? And that's true for every single person on earth. What do they actually want? So that's the first thing that we read in this. The second is something that's very confusing. What do the sheep say when our Lord congratulates them on the life well lived? What do they say, their response? Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger come to you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Aren't you thinking, are they really that dense? Do they really not get it? This should be a little bit more of a question than we realize. Because of course we know that when we do good things, we do them towards God. And in a very direct way is what the Gospel is telling us. But are they totally ignorant of what they're doing? The key in this is humility. You see, true love, godly love, is a self-emptying. It's a lack of awareness of self. And so the good works that pour forth from a humble soul, one that is truly in love with God and the people around them, those good works, they just come. I know for good works that I'm more familiar with, it's with intention, it's thinking about it, it might be in front of people so that they can see it and praise me, or I might want to tell people afterwards. This is all not godly love. Our motives are mixed. There's godly love in there as well, just a little bit, but there's also a whole lot of self-love as well. So you see, when we look at the sheep, we see that they're unaware. They're unaware because their focus is on love of God, and it is in their humility that they pursue God. You know where humility comes from? From repentance. That's where humility comes from. We can't make ourselves humble. I want to be humble. I want to be humble. No. We become humble through repentance. By seeing ourselves for who we truly are. And this is the answer as to why this gospel is placed right where it is. Because everything that the church does is with intention. We started out with the publican and the Pharisee learning about repentance. We see the prodigal son and his journey of repentance. And next Sunday is Forgiveness Sunday, in which we offer repentance. But then there's this one in the middle. This one in the middle is actually centered upon repentance. Because you see, our work is not so much to do good as to not do bad. It's not so much to do good as to not do bad. That may sound like splitting hairs. And of course we are to pursue good. But it's more focused on us seeing who we truly are and repenting of that. Because when we offer that to God, what happens? When we repent, what happens? God's grace comes to us. And when God's grace comes to us, what happens? Good things. Good things happen. And sometimes we can even be like those sheep, totally unaware of the good things that we're doing. You see, it's a different kind of pursuing good. 
because it starts from not pursuing bad. It starts from looking frankly and truly at myself and saying, here is all my rottenness, Lord. Here is my sickness. Here are the ways in which I love myself. Here are the ways in which I fall short. And I offer these to you, God. Heal them. So it's a journey of repentance. And that's what we see in these sheep. We see their repentance, which is transformed into humility, which is transformed into amazing acts and works of good that they're unaware of. That they're unaware of. So may we pursue repentance. May we truly become humble only by seeing our own, the evil within us, and offering that to God that He might heal that. Then we'll stand before the judgment seat. In similarity to Christ and His self-emptying love, we will have offered self-emptying love. Amen.